the National Archives podcast series, Digitised Newspapers as Sources for Family History, presented by Ed King. The British Museum always ran out of space in the 19th century in Bloomsbury, and newspapers were no exception. Because of the increasing flow of legal deposit material coming through from the mid-19th century onwards, the staff of the day were reporting that they had no further room to house newspapers in, in Bloomsbury. So after about 20 years of complaints from the staff, the uh, museum start, started to take action. The first reaction of the Treasury to a request for, for extra funds was to say, well, we can get rid of the provincial newspapers completely. We don't need to keep those. That's all right. And so you wouldn't need the extra space, would you? The museum saw that one off. And it was decided, and the Treasury agreed, to buy land at what was then called Hendon. The first repository was built at Hendon. That was put up by 1905, and it housed English and Welsh provincial newspapers. The 20, next 20 years went by with newspapers being fetched from there to the main newspaper reading room in Bloomsbury, and the museum then decided to move the whole operation out to Hendon, which is now called Collindale and the, the main storage premises at the north, north end of the site were built between 1928 and 1932. All of the, the air is built up now, but the original building was destroyed by an incendiary bomb in October 1940, and 6,000 volumes of newspapers, approximately, we didn't count them at the time, were destroyed, and the remainder were put straight into the, the then supposedly free space in the big building. So the services to, to readers and to users have been going since August 1932 on this site. And the library is currently in, in the process of changing this arrangement and of taking this site out of commission altogether and moving the collection to the north in Boston Spa and to have the reader services in its main building at St Pancras in London. So for those of you who haven't been, forgive me for those of you who have, there's plenty of information on the British Library web pages about how you, how you can start to use Collindale. Collindale will, will be where it is for another year at least, if not slightly longer. What have we got? Largely complete runs of newspapers from 1800 to 2006 or 2010. When I wrote this, it was ish, 2006-ish. Around 700,000 volumes of parcels. Um, binding was the main way of keeping newspapers together for 150 years. We don't do it now. It's, uh, it's, it's more likely to be boxes or, or store them flat. The operation at Collindale went to microfilm uh, from the early 1950s. So we've either bought or made our own microfilm, which amounts to 400,000 reels of positive microfilm. The policy of the library has been for 30-plus years. If there is a film, you don't see the original. And there's you all know why. Newsprint is, is on poor paper. Poor paper needs safeguarding by us as an archival organisation, so we supply the film instead. It's about 20 miles of shelving. Most of the newspapers lack indexes of a traditional kind, so that's the sort of scenario that we, we, we have. The catalogue went online, of the newspapers went online in the year 2000. It's not a, not a catalogue of texts, it's a catalogue of newspaper titles. If you find what you want, you have to come to Collindale to read it. There's no, no loan of film, and certainly not of the originals. Bear in mind that with the technical revolution that's going on now, very many texts of current newspapers are online. You know this, but just be, be aware. 
because you don't have to come to us to do that. You can often do it for yourselves, although many of them are, are behind paywalls, of course. Some are not. We have a lot of um, online databases in, available in the on-site at Collindale and at the library reading rooms at St Pancras. You can search the whole lot, but then you get lots of results that you might ne not necessarily want. If you're researching other countries besides the UK, this is a collection at Collindale of, of world newspapers. So if you read French, German, Spanish, you know, you, we've got a lot of older newspapers that may be of interest. Uh, we don't normally collect now um, and have at Collindale Asian or Middle Eastern newspapers. They're not there. They're in the main... They were, if we have them at all, and we have some, then they'll be uh, available in the Asian and African reading room at St Pancras. So a slightly different division of, of uh, material there. I searched by Germany on everything. So all the printed books, all the magazines, and the newspapers. And you get 636,767 results. If you search on Germany by newspapers, with the delineation of newspapers, which are the Collindale holdings, you get 1,124 newspaper titles published in Germany. So you can search by country, you can search by city, Stuttgart or Frankfurt. So you can get to refine your, your search, you can search by UK county, you can search by city. So you can get, if, if you're starting out on your road, you can get quite quickly to where you want to be. So I searched on Cheshire, 324 results for in the Collindale collection for newspapers with the place name of Cheshire and 503 newspaper titles with the place name of Sussex. Um, this was a screenshot where you can do a search for all London newspapers. There are 5,276 newspaper titles that were published in London from, from around 1800 and you can refine that by date. If you look at the left-hand side here, you can, you can see that there's a date divide. If you, go, if you click on before 1957, you can further refine it and so on. So you, you can date cut your search by place. We've got lots of other digital resources. We have to buy subscriptions to allow these to be look, looked at on, on site, just as is the case here. So we've got the Times Digital Archive. The Guardian is presented by ProQuest from 1821. This is a, a really useful page to find when you're either off-site or on-site. If you're on-site you and we subscribe to these, these databases, you can jump straight into the, the text searching for them. But if you're off-site, you'll get it and you, want to, you click on, the, you click on the, the resource you want, say, you'll get a message which says this is not available outside our reading rooms because the, the subscription we signed means that it's on-site access only. Again, that's probably pretty similar to what you have here. There are, there are many, many resources of newspapers around the world. So we try, we try and give links to a lot of other res resources. If you're interested in modern newspapers, um, there's onlinenewspapers.com, there's a whole set of websites you can go to as a portal to newspapers of the world. What you get when you go out there and start to swim in that, that sea is, is very variable. You might get newspapers whose texts are full texts. 
you might get that which is the full text of the printed version of a newspaper. You might get referred to a website of the same newspaper, but it's a web site rather than the printed edition of the same newspaper, because many publishers in many countries have parallel <coughs> versions of newspapers. We try to point to some of these, but um, if you, th it's it's there must be ten thousand out there now. So, depending on what you want to do, depending on how much your interest extends and your stamina extends, you know you can you can go and do this thing. It's not it's not difficult. It's just time consuming, and there are many sort of slight. You, you go down an alleyway and you encounter a bit of a brick wall, and you have to come back out and try something else. I'm going to now talk about what. You, what people call the digital revolution or a technical revolution. Before 2000, we could only dream of making the full texts of older newspapers available outside the British Library. But from about the year 2000, we began to experiment with um, how to do this, and it proved possible to start to think about doing such work, scanning older newspaper pages and then putting the scans through post-scan processing, in particular its optical character recognition, to turn the images into searchable text that you are most interested in. But there are other parts of the process as well which are sometimes equally important. And so we started to do that with a, a pr proposal to, to do two million pages uh, of newspapers published before 1900. And we received funding from the UK JISC, the Joint Information Systems Committee, to do this. And so we selected 48 newspapers published between 1800 and 1900 uh, and did that very thing. It took three and a half years to do it. We launched this particular website in the autumn of 2007. We added another 22 newspaper titles to this database by 2009. So this iteration of, of our development um, it was 70 newspaper titles by 2009. Why 1900? Because 1900 we deemed to be uh, out of copyright. Post-1900 we deemed to be in copyright. It's a cautious view of what copyright may actually be, but we chose to err uh, on the side of caution rather than the side of being, being uh, putting ourselves at, at risk. I'll come back to that in a moment. So you can go... Within the British Library, you can go to this resource. It's available and it's fully searchable. For those of you who are technically minded, the OCR processes that enable you to do that searching are not perfect. But I always say to, to uh, groups like yourselves, it's better to have a bucket half full than half empty. And um, we've achieved results which are greater than 50 or 60% successful in optical character recognition. It's not word recognition software, it's character recognition software. And characters make up words. So if we've got a 60 to 70% success rate of character recognition, sure, that means that up to 25 to 30% is not recognized. And if you carry out a search term, it may not find it for you. People say to us repeatedly, oh, well, I know that word's there. I read it in the original microfilm or the original text. I know it's there. And, and we, why isn't it there now, sort of thing? And the answer is, probably, the OCR hasn't been effective. That, that time, only time will heal that, and possibly a rerun of the scans through further software. But anyway, it's a wonderful resource if you're interested in 19th century history. But because newspapers cover everything, newspapers, of course, are stuffed full of names, and I'll be giving you some screenshots of that. So... 
and it's not just the obits. It really isn't. It's not just the births, marriages and deaths. There are reports of uh, local education committees. There are reports of proceedings in Parliament. There are reports which are verbatim often and often full of names. There are um, reports of, of factory visits. There are reports of accidents, industrial accidents. All of these happen at personal names. So if it, 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 it's always, you know, it's a much, much wider field within newspapers than perhaps some of you might realise. Some of you, I'm sure, do realise that, so I don't need to say any more. But it's a great resource, and, uh, and it often, as those of you who have done it know, it's serendipity. You, you're looking for the thing you want to find, you find it, and then the thing that's just adjacent to it is even more interesting than, than the, the name or the, the event you're looking for. So that's, that's the wonder of older newspapers. The other thing to emphasize is that newspapers contain a huge amount of information about foreign countries in British newspapers. It's a long, a long standing matter. 18th century UK newspapers had lots of information about foreign countries uh, from the early 18th century onwards. And that sort of foreign element of reporting and, and putting reports in, in newspaper pages continued throughout the 19th century with particular relevance to British colonies. So you'll have extensive reports of all the British colonies throughout the 19th century, India, South Africa, Canada, Australia. Um, it's just astonishing what there is. And of course, a lot of these reports contain names about the people, the traders, the, you know, the seamen who went to these ports or whatever. And so, you know, don't just think UK. Think, 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 what, think worldwide because uh, British newspapers have it. After 2009, the library said, well, what are we going to do next? What, you know, what's coming up? Uh, so the library started to work towards a new arrangement. It went out to tender to ask companies to submit proposals for an enlargement of activity over the first five to six years that we had from 2003-2009. And a company called Bright Solid secured the contract, and we worked with Bright Solid to launch the British Newspaper Archive it was launched on the 29th of November last year. At the 5th of March, it had 4.7 million pages inside it, and it's rising daily and fast. A feature of this database, as opposed to the um, one I mentioned earlier, the 19th century newspapers database, is twofold. Firstly, it contains a lot more regional <coughs> newspaper titles than we were able to do earlier. Secondly, Bright Solid are carrying out 20th century newspaper-run digitization for under license from publishers. So they go to the publisher and say, we'd like to publish the post-1900 runs of XYZ newspaper. And the publisher says, well, you know, no, what's it worth? You know, so they get into a, you know, toing and froing on, on commercial terms. If the publishers sign and they get the signature, they're empowered to scan them put them through their post-scan processing and put them on this database. You don't see the difference. There's nothing to do, won't be anything to do with you. You'll see, you'll, it'll be seamless. That process is slightly behind at the moment in the sense of um, more yet needs to be done. But there's already a fair amount of 20th century information on this database and it will grow as more and more licensing arrangements come into play. You can go in and look at all the newspaper titles on the site very readily. If you click on any letter, you get the, the list of titles that begin with certain letter. So it's very easy. If you click on any one of the, the titles, you go straight into just that newspaper and you can start searching 
just the one newspaper. It's very flexible. You can search. So searching is free. The business model is searching is free, but if you want to download, up comes the registration and the pay screen. And why is this? This is because Bright Solid have put a lot of money into this and they want to earn their money back. That's the, that's the model that the library and Bright Solid have developed between us. There are further refinements you can carry out. Once you've got, once you've got to a newspaper, you can filter very quickly. You don't have to do advanced searching. You can filter by a 10-year date range, and then a one-year date range, and then a month. So within one minute, you can get to the, from the Blackburn Standard for uh, 1859, August 1859, and you just get the issues of August 1859 on a search, like searching on an individual name. You know that you know, your great-great-great-aunt, Aunt Mildred, died on you know, August the 15th, 1859, if you want to find out whether there's an obit, you know, you could do that. You can get very specifically to where you want to be very quickly. If you think that you don't know where great great auntie great 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 auntie Mildred died, you, but you think she died somewhere in the West Country, you can then you can then group newspapers by region. That's a bit variable, but it probably will become a little clearer. So that will search several newspapers at one time. So I've just got some screenshots relating to names. This is the Bedminster, Bedminster Union, plenty there. Lists of bankrupts were published in all newspapers regularly throughout the 19th century. I'm not sure about the 20th. So you've got, they're just names after name after name and why they went bankrupt. All printed faithfully by the newspapers. The scanning of Perry's Bankrupt and Insolvent Gazette has been done by the company, Arkwright Solid. Wine merchant, sugar refiner, ironmonger, draper, coach builder, license victualler, page after page, month after month. There's the Paul Lord Union's Gazette, which has also been scanned. But you have the most splendid descriptions here. It's rather like reads rather like a sort of police notice. Warrants for the apprehension of the above deserters are in the hands of the county police, and so on. Five pound reward. It's a different world, but it, but it's a world where personal names are, are prominent. So you can you can it's very rich searching ground. It's worth remembering that theatrical performances were extensively reproduced in newspapers and of course the names of the actors and actresses are in those reports. So if you've, you've got any hint that a forebear might be uh, engaged in the theatre in some shape or form then this sort of thing is well worth thinking about. Newspapers are absolutely stuffed full of material. They had, they had a lot of space to fill. And so you get miscellaneous reports, a silver manual, the time the timber trade, porpoises in the seven. But a Mr. C.A. Bailey saw two porpoises blowing and sporting themselves in the river near the tail of the ham. Well, there you are, there's Mr. Bailey's name. And then the Theatre Royal, and then, you know, with, with Mr. Frank, Frank Kilpack and company. So the, the oddities of local life, or the, the fascinating things of local life, the trivia of local life, are, are revealed in editorial pages, which have no particular heading. They're just grouped together often in a sort of seemingly random way. But they can, again, be a very rich source for searching for family history. Inquests. So not just the death announcement, but actually reports of inquests. They were, they were held extensively, often in pubs, I believe, as, as meeting places. And so you know, there are detailed descriptions of, of what actually happened. And often there'll be witness names as well as the name of the deceased themselves. 
Of course, there are full-length obituaries, not just an announcement of a death, but a full-length, this is what Mr. Frederick Jones you know, might, have, might have done in his life. So they're, they're also a, a good, re good resource for you. Foreign events. If you, had a, if you had an ancestor who went and fought in the American Civil War, uh, a steamer called the, a paddle steamer called the Sultana had over 2,000 prisoners of war on it, and it was known to have bad boilers when it set sail on, on part of its journey to release the prisoners further south, and the whole thing blew up. And about 1,400 people lost their lives in the accident. And so this kind of thing uh, gives you lots of local information, but also a lot of information about names. In the early 1800s, in the Aberdeen Journal, there's a report of the Bell Rock Lighthouse having been erected, and, and, off, and that sort of report sometimes in other papers may name members of the team. Uh, I put this in because it's um, the cult of celebrity comes to mind. Yes, it's not a 20th century phenomenon. This is in the middle of the Crimean War. Here's uh, in, in the Hereford Times. Uh, you've got a gush, which I've quoted at the top there. That's a quote from the article below the, the picture. We can imagine there can be no necessity for introducing the originals of annexed portraits to our readers, as every village in England, A or I, even in the civilised world, has ere now echoed and re-echoed its fervent prayer and praise on behalf of the angelic devotedness of Miss Florence Nightingale towards our brave wounded soldiers in the East. Um, Mr Sawyer, who featured, was the co-star on that day, he was, he was a soup kitchens man. He brought soups to the troops. So he featured very largely uh, as a he hero as well. I put this in because this, this was fascinating to me. Um, of course, transportation to Australia was uh, common until well, the 1850s, I think. I don't think the system wound down until about the 1850s. And so there's a report of female convicts in uh, what is now Tasmania, but then called Van Diemen's Land. So again, names. Names may be mentioned in such reports. The Crystal Palace of 1851, the Illustrated London News had regular reports of the building of the, uh, and uh, every week by week the, they had loads of engravings. They led the way and so this excited huge amounts of interest in, in all over the country and the, the interest was further excited by the fact that there were regional committees which submitted uh, their recommendations to the Central Committee for items to be exhibited. So local people have been fully involved in the whole process. Um, so the whole thing had huge momentum by the time of May Day 1851 when it opened in Hyde Park. This is, um, this is the next chapter in the story when the whole thing was packed up because that's what they said they were going to do. They had to take it down again and it was what to do with the Crystal Palace which had become so popular. <coughs> over six million people visited the Crystal Palace in 1851. And so commerce stepped in more money was found. Paxton was commissioned to build a bigger, larger, more handsome Crystal Palace on the site of uh, Sydenham Hill. And many newspapers, when it opened, it opened in June 1854. Queen Victoria came along and opened it again. And they featured these large engravings. And these, these things, they had to be sort of put together on the page. They would be separate, wood probably from wood engravings. And considering that most newspapers carried no illustrations, apart from the Illustrated London News, there were some others, but not that many, this is, this is all the more remarkable. And you, it was, many of them ran special supplements. And so this one was in the Chelmsford Chronicle. There'll be lots of names attached to these reports. 
especially in, in the long, there'll be a page or two of the report. The report will contain the names of the manufacturers and the, who actually exhibited there, either in the 1854 one or in the 1851 one. So there again, it's a very fertile place to look for information. Maps in newspapers, not necessarily a sort of personal names thing, but um, this is the siege of Paris in eight, late 1870 by the Prussians, having, having defeated Napoleon III, who then went into exile after the Battle of Sedan. You have the uh, Western Times. This is in 3rd of January 1871, printing a map for English readers about what was going on and the fact the poor, poor, poor Parisian populace was now holed up in, in Paris and beginning to eat horses and things like that. And, of course, it was so near us, it was a great shock to many people in Britain that this, this uh, full-scale war was really on our doorstep. By the time we get to the 1870s and onwards, um, other newspapers, uh, there was the Penny Illustrated Paper, there were plenty of others, several others, who started to have full-scale graphic work every week, at least. And the graphic was one of the early ones that we, we scanned. Um, there are often several pages per issue. There were 16 or 30 pages per issue. It's a cross between a magazine and a newspaper. It has general news in it, but a huge amount of illustration. This is the Hull Daily Mail. There's an example of the kind of field, field reporting that you'll get in those days. I haven't dwelt, I haven't got a picture shot of the First World War, but of course, the, for those of you who know, it's, it makes very, very sad reading indeed when the, the weekly lists, often, or even daily lists, of the, those missing in action, wounded in action, killed in action, are printed, just column after column of names. And, that's a, a, and that most of the regional newspapers carried these, as well as the London papers. So, I'm done with the slides. The commitment between Bright Solid and the library is 40 million pages over the next 10 years, which will be a lot of newspapers. This event was recorded live on the 15th of March 2012 at the National Archives, Kew.